When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I'm uh, very well, thank you. Um, went out, went out for a meal last night um, to one of my favourite restaurants in Brighton. And it's it's a small place, uh, place, uh-huh. and myself and the Baroness it always says, "How many small plates is one small plate too many?" Uh-huh. And last night we found out that it was seventeen. <laughs> wow, how small are these plates? They're not that small. So I do. I, I like food. Well, Kieran, as, I don't as, drink. I like food. Well, fair point. We all like food to a certain extent, Kieran. But as as a man who likes a spreadsheet even more. I can't believe you went into a restaurant unarmed with the knowledge of how many small plates is too many small plates. Yes. So you missed you, you missed the Rugby World Cup then? Yes. Yes. No, it's not really for me. Yeah, it's, I, I've been trying, I have to say, but it, they don't make it easy. Just, it's slightly baffling that our lad was sent off for what looked like an accidental headbutt and their lad wasn't sent off for a kung fu kick to the <laughs> chest. But it's worth watching, Kieran. Make sure you, you watch at least one game. Um, for the national anthems, right? Which, in in a wonderfully French way, uh, all sung live by huge choirs of children. Um, but nobody did the research into how quickly rugby players and rugby fans sing their own national anthem. <laughs> so you get <clears throat> you get the very enjoyable sight of the, the the two teams standing there looking baffled, while the giant choir harmonises their way through the first verse. Still, it's the with the Italian one, the Italian one was just uh, literally rugby players sneaking a look at their watches going, it's 37 degrees in the, in the shade. Uh, speaking of 37 degrees in the shade, Kieran, I do have um, every window in the house open, obviously, plus some new ones that I've bashed through. Some new windows? Yeah, yeah, just, well, the gap just holes in the wall that I've smashed right. through <laughs> just to get some more air in the house. Uh, so it may be a little bit noisy because we're on the flight path today by the look of it for some oh, reason. Wow. Uh, also, we've got a house full of stage managers who are putting the world of stage managing to right. I mean, the house has never been so beautifully organised, but there's a, there's, there's a bit is, of stage Is there a collective noun for stage managers? That... Uh, uh, there, there probably is, Kieran, but one of them's sitting dangerously close to me at the moment, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to share it. Uh, it's questions day, Kieran, but we do have a little bit of news to start with, which involves you, Kieran, um, and a report that you co-authored for the Department of Culture, Media, and sport, which you co-authored for Tracy Crouch, is essentially what we're saying, basically, Kieran, isn't it? Um, well, not quite. I mean, the, oh, the, gov- okay. the government on Thursday, uh, and for people who are sort of unfamiliar with the story, the government decided that there was going to be a fan-led review of football and governance. Um, that led to a white paper being published. And then the government says, we're going to have a consultation process. So we're going to listen to the Premier League, the EFL, 
National League, Football Association, Football Supporters Association, all of the different stakeholders in the game. And, and we're going to take on board their comments. And the government's produced a written response, which is 55 pages long. And I think it's fair to say Premier League are not happy. Um, they've sort of given a very sniffy, uh, we acknowledge the contents of the report. The Premier League have been trying over the course of the last sort of five or six months to show that football does not need a regulator um, by coming up with a, a variety of actions and changes in policy, all of which look as if you know, they are a response to, they are very reactive rather than proactive. So the, the Premier League uh, isn't happy with the government's conclusions that having taken on board all of the comments from the stakeholders, it still believes that there should be an independent regulator. It still believes that effectively all of the core issues of the, the Tracy Crouch report should be implemented. Um, and the the elephant in the room is that uh, I think there's two. Um, one, how is the regulator going to operate, which is going to be a case of who appoints the regulator? Should it be independent completely of all of the existing football authorities or should it operate sort of within them? Um, it can't really be independent, I think, if that is the case. And the age-old question of what are we going to do with the pie of football money? How are you going to cut that pie? And th there's two issues here. A, how quickly is that pie going to grow? And most importantly, I think for most people, is, is how are you going to distribute it? The, the Premier League and the EFL have not yet come to an agreement. And, and the preferred response of the government is that we really don't particularly want to get involved. In an ideal world, you sit down like grown-ups and you come to a conclusion as to the distribution of money. EFL still holding out for 25% of a combined TV deal, um, which seems a little bit strange because that's the deal that they rejected 30 years ago when it was offered to them, I think, by, by the Premier League. Um, and the Premier League, I think, is reluctant to give up more money. So I think the nuclear option is that if uh, things do not proceed to an agreement, then the regulator, upon being appointed, one of the first things they're going to have to do is, is to themselves you know, roll up the sleeves and, and get involved with this. And I suspect it will be send us your two best offers from both the Premier League and the EFL. We will look, and we're not going to compromise. We, we will choose the one that we will think is better. Um, and, and that's what's known in some circles as game theory uh, when you're trying to get things over a line from a negotiation performance. So that's, that's where the government's response was. Um, at the same time, uh, myself and Christina Philippou of Portsmouth University, uh, Christina is a really good friend of mine. She's, she's super smart. Um, we were commissioned by the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport to put together a research paper because a lot of the, the issues which have arisen in football have come to the fore um, and, and were accelerated during COVID. And there is now a case for saying, well, well hold on, Are, is the state of football finance still precarious We've now come out of COVID. We're getting record levels of crowds at the EFL. The, the Premier League TV deals are coming through. They're looking absolutely fantastic. We've got record amounts being spent as far as transfers are concerned. So is, is it all a fuss about nothing? Um, so we spent 
a, a lot of time uh, collating the data, looking at all of the different metrics across various divisions. And for, the, for, for anybody thinking, well, hold on, you know, uh, myself and Christine, we're just part of the gravy trade. We did this in our time, our own time, unpaid. But you know, we're we're football fans first and foremost. Um, and the conclusion is is that. Football is still losing money rather than making money. It's hemorrhaging cash um, as well as profits. Um, And effectively, it's being propped up by owners in the form of uh, owner loans, owner cash injections in the form of shares. And what happens if the owners, either due to a change in personal circumstance, their own business goes, goes belly up, or... They just reach the stage of I'm, I'm getting abused on social media. I'm getting people shouting yeah. at me in the streets, <clears throat> and you don't know how much money I'm putting in. Yeah, if, if I give you the example of uh, Middlesbrough, for example, Steve Gibson has put in thick end. I think it's exceeding two hundred million pounds into Middlesbrough, and yet wow. you, you look at the comments <clears throat> on social media about him, and there's there, there's a, an element of the Middlesbrough fan base, and this is by no means the majority who just seem to have it in for him and are making all types of accusations um, which which are not backed up by fact. And, and, and that's I think that's a much broader issue um, in society today in that truth for many people is not based on fact, it's based on feelings. Um, so we, we put together this report and it's looked at the profitability, it's looked at cash flow, it's looked at the level of debt. Um, it, it's looked at the company, the, the ability of football clubs to pay their debts as, as they fall due, and the conclusion that we reached is that things are still poor. And in fact, if it was any other industry, um, a significant number of football clubs would probably be closed down. If if tweets had to be backed up by facts, Kieran, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? Yes. I've, I've I've never been in a room with two elephants. It's quite intriguing to have two elephants in the room. Um, <clears throat> it is interesting. We need to move on because we've got some great questions. But it's it's interesting that you know the EFL holding out, as you say, for for twenty five percent. When, as the Premier League, or certainly that chat from the Premier League, told me in confidentiality, what have the Premier League got? Uh, what have the EFL got to negotiate with? How? You know, what? What are they holding out for? There's nothing else they're going to be able to to offer us that, to make us change our mind. It, it, it seems strange that one to me, Kieran. It, it is. Um, I, th- I think it's aspirational rather right. than realistic. And, and I also think there are people at the EFL who might say, this is our public pronouncement. This is our public point of view. Ah, okay. But behind the scenes, I suspect that the Premier League and the EFL are getting closer to a deal, but nobody wants to go public on that. Right. What was on that 17th plate, Kieran, that you couldn't quite manage? <laughs> um, it was... Pork belly. Oh, you got all the way to there, and oh. all the way to pork belly. Yes, and, and didn't, it didn't even have a dessert. We, we we were gone. We were destroyed. My God! But but you will be pleased to know that there was some raw fish amongst all of those plates. Well, what? Did, oh, you didn't get to eat the pork. I can't. I, it, it's it's my favourite dish, Kieran. But I have a distinct aversion to the word in the second part of it, the one that rhymes with welly. Oh, I, I, it, it sends a shiver down my spine. So I quite often would be in a restaurant. If I'm in a restaurant of my own and it's got that on it, I can't order it. I, so no. I, this is one of the reasons I love going out with Ali, obviously. There are more reasons than the fact that she can 
pronounce a word that I don't like. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I should stop digging on that, basically, because especially as she's next door and she's she's ganged up with mates. Uh, our first question, Kieran, comes from Chris. Uh, Chris. Our first question, Kieran, comes from Chris Clark, who says, "I love the pod." Thank you, Chris. That's very kind of you. Uh, been listening for over two years without even considering asking a question. That's the way to start, Kieran, isn't it? So I, I just listen. Don't see why I should join in. But I've, I've, now he's got a reason, Kieran, and it's an interesting one. Because uh, Chris says, when I read a quote from St. Gianni Infantino saying that every country affiliated, affiliated, affiliated to FIFA should name a stadium after Pele, I felt moved to send one in. My question is, how much money would be behind such a deal? Surely no club with the ability to generate any income from sponsorship slash stadium naming rights would give this away for free. So how low down the pyramid do we have to go for such a possibility to be considered? Or is it just to be considered to be as insincere as most public pronouncements from St. Gianni? Well, I think Chris has probably hit the nail on the head with regards to his his second viewpoint. Um, Gianni Infantino came out with this comment and then appeared to forget it within hours. Now, I'm sure we've all done that in our lives. <laughs> uh, his was in front of a 200 cameras, though, so he's slightly more high profile with regards to it. I think he, I think he wanted every football association linked to FIFA to, to go through this process. Now, FIFA has 211 members. Um, I... I I did some research. This this is how Sunday mornings should be spent. How much would it cost for a statue to be commissioned and built? And the figures I came up with were around about £750,000 each, which is uh, just shy of a, not not fairly shy of a million dollars. Now, FIFA normally give half a million dollars a year to each of its 211 members. So I don't think this is going to get a, a huge response. But the total cost to... Uh, FIFA's members would probably be somewhere in the region of 160 million pounds uh, to have these uh, have these statues of Pele. Many, of course, already have statues of famous players from their their countries. You know, we've got the Bobby Moore one, of course, which is absolutely fantastic. There's one of Diego uh, Maradona. Uh, there's Cristiano Ronaldo's one, which is quite famous. Bobby Robson at Newcastle, and so on. So I, I think it was. The politest way you can think was it was uh, perhaps an ill-advised, attention-seeking comment from Infantino, and it's disappeared, as should 99% of what he says. Wow. So he not only wanted people to name a stadium after Pelé, he wanted a statue of Pelé. Wow. He's, he really he must have been asked a difficult question in a press conference. Just that literally is throwing the dead cat on the table there, isn't it? How about Mr. <laughs> Mr. Infantino? Where's the money gone? How about a statue of Pelé? Oh, yeah, I've, uh, that's distracted me long enough to move on. Philip Landvogt has our next question. Philip, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Uh, and Philip uh, has a question about his club, Melbourne Victory. Philip says, the club has always sold itself as one of the best run in the country, but it seems to be in dire financial trouble, losing $7 million last year. Part of this appears to be a deal with 777, where it lent the club up to $30 million, which sounds great. But the kicker is... they. The kicker is they can, in four years' time, either take a stake of 70% in the club or walk away with their $30 million plus 10% compound interest. Should I be worried? Is this sort of deal commonplace in the UK? Seems like a pretty sweet deal for 777. Yes, I think this is a good deal, potentially, for 777. Um, And for any Everton fans listening, 
777 potentially are trying to have some form of financial relationship with Everton. Um, I I would urge caution when dealing with 777. They they, they do appear to have quite a lot of money. They initially put, uh, I think it was 8 million Australian dollars into Melbourne Victory. And that was the back of, and this is possibly my, my favourite sponsor name um, of the week, Bonza Airlines, um, which, which is which is a company. Right. I'm not. I'm just a word of warning to anybody. I'm not flying Bonza Airlines. Yeah, it, it, I would. Lo- I'd love to go to Australia. It's a country I've long wished to visit. Uh, Melbourne, in particular, mainly off the back of MasterChef Australia, but. Bonza Airlines, I'm giving that a miss. I'd, I'd rather go. I'd rather go walk about, especially if Jenny Agatha was also walking about with me. But um, that's Bonza Airlines. That's. Are you sure? Is that genuine? Is that one of the ones that no. the Baroness? The Baroness said. I'm sure the Baroness occasionally says to you, "Throw that in, see whether Kev falls for it." <laughs> no, no, that appears to be genuine. Um, so seven, seven, seven partners. Um, were originally involved with Bonza Airlines. And on the back of that, uh, I think they became familiar with Melbourne Victory. They, they do own stakes in quite a few other clubs around the world. They are convinced that football clubs, and I think this is a common trait of American investors, are very, very poor at marketing. And they say, yeah, football clubs, they sell merchandise, they, they sell catering equipment. Why, why, are we not getting, why are you not getting your insurance from Melbourne victory. Why are you not getting uh, financial advice from uh, from Hartlepool United or wherever it's going to be? Because fans are very loyal to the football brand. So, so that's that's their view. If you take a look at Melbourne Victory's accounts, their most recent accounts said not only were they losing money, but uh, and this this goes into sort of accounting speak. But there was a material uncertainty about their ability to carry on trading as a going concern, i.e. there's a significant chance that they're going to go bust. So this is where 777 came in. Um, they, I would describe them as a vampire lender in these scenarios, that they're effectively able to dictate terms. Um, so if it's going to be you know, $30 million at 10% compound interest for, for two or three years, that's, that's going to be an awful lot of money that Melbourne Victory are going to to need to find. Um, the history of 777 Partners itself is quite interesting. They are Miami-based. Now, you know, my, my knowledge of Miami mainly comes from Don Johnson and Miami Vice uh, back, <laughs> back in what we, what we refer to as the day. Um, but if you Google 777 Partners and cocaine smuggling, you'll get an interesting read. I'll say no more than that. Um, and uh, Miami is unusual in, in the United States in, in the sense that you, it's, it's got the highest concentration of Benjamins. Now, Benjamin is, is slang for $100 bills. It's got the highest concentration of $100 bills of any city on the planet. Um, and the reason for this is, once again, it's linked to the amount of drug smuggling that, that takes place there. And um, one of the partners in 7-7 Partners, um, he was he was found... 
harvesting, should we say, tr- transferring uh, <laughs> the uh, the ground up residue of the coca plant, um, and uh, and he says, why why do people keep bringing this up? Yeah, you know, we all did silly things when we were younger. I go, yeah, I did silly things when we were younger, but. Um, so yeah, so so we've got this strange situation. He has got a, a, a colourful background. Um, I would be concerned because seven 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 partners are, are potentially going to come out of this either in control of the football club or alternatively with an awful lot of cash. But but this what te- this this is what happens when you are in a borrowing situation where there are few alternatives. Uh- Congratulations on your use of euphemism throughout your answer to that question, Kieran. Producer Guy will be very proud of you. Um, and if, if Bonzer Airlines are listening, I, I apologise. I will happily endorse Bonzer Airlines in future. And if you want to take me to Australia with Kieran, just so we can sample your product and report back on it in the way that they do in the Sunday newspapers, then we're, we're listening, Kieran, aren't we? We're Price, always, Price of Football Live comes to Melbourne. Uh, with special, special guest sponsor airlines. <laughs> we would have to keep name-checking him, wouldn't we, just as an apology. I'm sorry we laughed. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Kevin Kissan as our next question, uh, also from Australia. And Kevin Kissan says, having become a semi-regular viewer of Australia's A-League, um, that's the sort of Homer, Homer Simpson level of commitment that I like. Having become a semi-regular viewer of Australia's A-League since being treated to a live Melbourne game back in 2019, I've noticed that the teams there have more sponsors on shirts and shorts in the A-League compared to the Premier League and EFL are the rules for sponsoring shorts in the Premier League and EFL restricted or are they just yet to be exploited? And I'm interested in the answer to this question, Kieran, because don't get me started on, on French football kits because there's, there's not a bit of that French football kit that, that isn't sponsored by somebody or other in the French League, is it? That, that's correct. Well, I, I take you here to the Premier League handbook and the EFL handbook, which are very, very precise as to what can and cannot appear as far as sponsorship with regards to a shirt is concerned. So the Premier League um, has allows front-of-shirt deals and uh, one-sleeve sponsor. The other sponsor is for the effectively for the, the Premier League logo and for the, uh, for the anti-racism campaign, which is, which is to be applauded, of course. Um, the EFL allow now back-of-shirt sponsorship deals. So, so why are they not going for elsewhere? I think all that has happened here is that the Premier League have done their sums and they realise that sponsors are willing to pay large amounts of money for 
the unique nature of having just their logo visible on, on shirts. Um, and the danger is, is that if you say we're going to have six sponsors, then if you add together the value of those six sponsors, it could be less than the value of having Emirates, you know, uh, Standard Chartered, Team Viewer, whoever it's going to be. So, that, so they would have done their sums. Um, they, they've all, they're also fully aware that there are rules set by UEFA and, and so on. Um, and therefore, if you are going to be playing in one of UEFA's competitions, such as Brighton playing in the Europa League, for example, um, are they? Yeah, I real oh, good luck to them. I did. I've, well, no, no I slipped your memory. Let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> you see, you see how high my voice gets when I'm aggravated, Kieran, like a cat. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Finley pricked up his ears there. He, he, he did he? And, and, and I've got the headphones on, so he must be coming <laughs> coming through coming through the ether from from South London. <laughs> um, so it, it's sim- it's simply dictated, and those decisions will be made ultimately by the clubs themselves. Because we, as we said on many occasions, ultimately we have people talking about the Premier League as being an independent body. It's not. The Premier League is a members' club, and if fourteen members say, "Well, we're going to have back of shirt sponsor or shirt or short sponsor or whatever it's going to be sponsor," then that will be the rule. Right. Okay. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Linton. Oh, no, it doesn't. It comes from Darren Sinclair. I'm ahead of myself here, Kieran. It's the the heat doing strange things to my head. Plus, um, I was distracted by getting a text from somebody I don't know. Our next question, Kieran. Oh, how could I overlook this question? You must have seen this question, Kieran, and, and a manly tear, a manly accountant's tear, a manly Kieran McGrath. I imagine the Baroness would have, would have looked at him and thought, oh, what's the matter with, with Kieran? Maybe he's he's thinking back to happy days in Blackpool. Who knows? But Darren Sinclair has this question. Is there a way to establish who owns what amount of shares for any particular football club? When looking on Company's House, I'm willing up myself, Kieran. When looking on Company's House, I notice that although you can look at persons with significant control, which often provides majority shareholders and their approximate shareholding, but quite often persons with significant control can be a director, not a shareholder, which means you cannot actually establish who has control of this business slash club. Right. Um, yeah. What, what I would say here, Darren, is, is two things. A, a person of significant control is an individual who has at least 25% ownership of the shares. Now, you can be a shareholder and a director, um, and you can be a shareholder and not a director. Um, if there is a change in those shareholdings, then that has to be communicated. That's a statutory requirement and it has to be sent to company's house. But if you want to actually find out who who owns how many shares, what I would suggest you do instead is look at what is referred to as the confirmation statement. This is a document which, once again, has to be submitted. Uh, it's a statutory requirement of being a limited company, and you have to show an annual summary as to who owns how many shares in the club. So, so that's the way to check, um, and there have been a few of these coming out um, recently because you have to do it on at least once. Well, you have to do it once a year. Hmm. So that definition, Kieran, persons with significant control, that's, that's a fixed legal definition, is it? Yes, that, that's, again, right. it's determined by statute. Um, if you go above 25%, above 50%, and I think above 75%, um, then if there's a change in those, then, then you have to go and uh, advise the authorities. Right. Okay, now we get on to the question from Linton Guest. I'm, I've, Linton, if you're listening, I can only apologise that I teased 
you already that you would have got all excited and then oh, the adrenaline would have ran away. But now here you are again. Here's your time, Linton. Linton Guest says, I've heard that some clubs sell tickets for supporters to sit in the director's box, perhaps even season tickets. Is this correct? And if so, what sort of packages are on offer at which clubs? It's it's an interesting one, this, Kieran, if, it's, if it is the case, because... Football fans like love to speculate on who it is sitting in the in the director's box because it's never always the same. Obviously, you've got some away people in there, but it never always seems to be the same people each week sitting in the director's box. And that's how that's how dull some of the football used to be at Sellers Park. That that's what we would spend our time doing. <laughs> well, it's normally the guests of directors. Mm. So and those will perhaps yeah work on a rotational basis. It can be family of directors. It's the directors from the away team as well. Um, with with regards to that, do some clubs offer that opportunity? It tends to be very much at lower league level. You're, you're not right, going, okay. you're not going to get Daniel Levy saying you know for for ten grand you get a chance to uh, to listen to me ignoring everything that Spurs fans have been saying for the last twenty years. Um, because that, I think that would tempt too many Spurs fans to say, yeah, okay, Daniel, we, we'll we'll crowdfund this, um, and 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 somebody will rock up on our behalf. Most people who are looking for hospitality would go through some sort of hospitality box. I mean, I, I have sat in a director's box at a couple of clubs and I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, the last time I did it, um, it was at Brentford. And for people not knowing, there's, there's, there's a bit of history between Tony Bloom, who owns Brighton, and uh, Matthew Benham, who owns uh, Brentford. And, and that bit of history means they dislike each other intensely because they used to work together, no longer work together, Big issues. So whenever we play Brentford, uh, Tony Bloom goes and sits with the with, sits with the fans. He refuses to come to the director's box, and, and through a, a complicated reason, I ended up in the director's box at Brentford. And I was there with the Baroness. First of all, you can't wear your shirt. You can't wear your football shirt, which is yeah, you know, is a bit frustrating. And secondly, I was told under no certain you know under you know, at all costs. You keep your mouth shut. You're there. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be there, sort of a more slightly form, formal representative. And this hadn't come from Brighton. It come through through another uh, opportunity to, to sit there, um, and that was fine because first forty five minutes, Brighton were toilet. They were two nil down. Then we got a goal, so two one. This is the year we're going for promotion. So, but I sat on my hands, said nothing, politely applauded. Brentford went three one up, politely applauded. Brentford got a penalty and they missed it. Okay. Oh dear, what a shame! You know, I'm, 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 be, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being Mr. Diplomat. Um, in the 89th minute, Solly March knocks ones in from 25 yards. Like, oh, that's a nice goal, wasn't it? And I behave myself. And then in the 97th minute, we equalise, and I lose my shit. Yeah, I, I, go, I, I go as you would do, as you, as any football fan would do. Um, I. I celebrated, um, and, and then I disgraced myself because there were some people from Brentford there who were either uh, who were players who'd not been in the squad, and they were saying, "Can you just tone it down, Matt?" And, and I was giving it the full. Come on, I'll take you all on. Take you all on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Baroness is going absolutely fuming. So we were living, we were living in Manchester at the time, and that was the most silent. Three and a half hour journey of my life. 
Oh my! As I, I was in Ice Station Zebra. Um, as far as why, why did you do that? You've, you're embarrassed by the, the full works. Um, so, director's box is you can occasionally uh, be sold the opportunity to go, but it, it would tend to be, I would imagine, you know, below national league level, where perhaps the facilities are, are a bit more uh, rudimentary. There's nothing funnier, Kieran, than seeing a normally peaceful, peaceable bloke offering to take on loads of young, fit people <laughs> who could take him out with one punch if necessary. It was. Um, I, I endorse everything you say about watching all those people listening to this. You say, "I'd love to watch a game from the director's box." It's stultifyingly frustrating watching games mm. from director's boxes. I'll tell you who I feel sorry for in that story, Kieran, is is the person sat behind you because. There's there's quite the height difference between you and Tony Bloom, yes. and the person sat behind you would have been thinking, "Oh, hang on a second, Tony Bloom's in front of me. I'll be able to see everything in this game." And then you got this. Tony Bloom's two foot taller than he used to be. What's happened there? And now he's offering to take the whole Brentford team on. That's, that's, that's I'm just, sorry, I'm just I just imagine you ripping your your tie and your suit off. Come on in, come on in. You didn't. You've not even got alcohol to blame, which is what I could always do. I could always fall back and go, "Well, I'm just, it was free wine in, at half time, darling. What, could, what did you expect?" You just, you just they gave me fizzy water. I can't handle fizzy water. You know that. <laughs> our next question. Our next question comes from Stephen Morley, uh, and Stephen says that my club Borough. Tuba Akpong's good form last season meant the club activated a one-year extension clause in his contract. With regards to that extension, I'm assuming the club can do this without the player's agreement to stop him capitalising on his form for his own benefit and jumping ship. Is that right? Well, there's certainly some reason why he didn't come to Palace, as we were expecting, but is that right, Kieran? Um, Yes. Ultimately, it's a legal contract between two parties, and the clauses will determine the conditions upon which individual clauses can be triggered. Now, sometimes those clauses are there to protect the player. So you could have a you sign for two years and there's a there's a, there's a third year option which says if the player plays at least twenty games in the second season, the player has the rights to trigger the option. And yeah. from a point of view of security, you know, you get to February and at least you know because if you talk to players at lower league level. Um, you know, all of the talk about football is just how much the money they earn and, and the focus is on the Premier League. At lower league level, you get to February or March, and I, and I was talking to, to a former player, and I said, well, what, what's it like? He says, you don't want to do it, but at the back of your mind, if you're going in for a 50-50 tackle and your contract's up at the end of this season, you're thinking, yeah. if I get this wrong, I'm going to be out for six months. I'm going to, nobody's going to take me on over the course of the summer because I'm an injured player. And I've got a mortgage. I've got a family. I've got I've got you know credit cards, just like everybody else has. So so it, so it does give the players, if they have performed well, it gives them a degree of security. And it also, as uh, as Stephen Morley uh, says, it, it gives the club some protection as well, because it allows them to to trigger the contract, and that can often be as as an option. Manchester United are the habit of triggering one year options for. Uh, I think Paul Pogba um, had yeah. has had some. Um, uh, Jones, Phil Jones, had it triggered on quite a few occasions, and I think people said that that, that we can't work out the logic because he never seemed to get close to the squad. But you know, they just re-signed Johnny Evans, so you can see perhaps from their point of view. Um, and as for Chuk Barakpong, um, I, I think I've said this before. 
the worst player to ever put on a shirt at the Amex Stadium. Uh, uh, good, good luck to the lad, uh, but I've, I've never seen a player show so little interest in playing football um, when, 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 at, when at Brighton. Well, that's a, that's a different thing from saying he's the worst player, Kieran, because you know, quite logically, naturally and morally, I can fully understand why someone pulling on a Brighton shirt would suddenly lose all his energy. <laughs> and decided maybe he wanted to eat some decent red meat, Kieran, like rather than the quinoa that you shovel at players down there. Um, he would have finished his seventeenth plate of pork. He looks, he looks like he can eat that boy. He's a good player. We, we were always after him. Uh, I, I didn't realise he had a Brighton connection, Kieran. Just, you're obsessed with Brighton. Do you know that, Kieran? <laughs> Our next question, Kieran, is one that we love on the pod. Which just it's a little investigation into a single club. It comes from Derek McMillan. And Derek says, can you give us an update on what's going on at Juventus? There seems to be a lot of things going on there money-wise. There is an awful lot which has happened with regards to Juventus. Um, I think if we start off with the domestic position, um, they were given a 15-point deduction, which the club appealed against, which was therefore reversed. And it then became a 10-point deduction. And as a result of that, they dropped out of Champions League places and they, they dropped into UEFA Conference. And I'll come back to UEFA position um, a little bit later. The reason why they were originally investigated, um, and, I, and I, I, I did, did used to speak Latin, uh, back in the 1970s, but um, my, my my Italian is non-existent. But this is something called plus valenza, okay? Plus valenza, and mm. plus valenza was in relation to uh, Juventus and some other clubs. I think uh, Atalanta were were one who who were sort of investigated as well with regards to the prices given for either player swaps or player plus cash deals. Um, so I, I think player swaps, you know, and we've mentioned this one before, Arthur and Pjanic. I think yep. uh, uh, Yael Shalo going to, to Manchester City and I think Danilo came the other way. That, that was queried um, and so on. And the conclusion that a, that a judge came to was, yes, it does look very strange, but ultimately nobody can say how much an individual player is worth. So there's insufficient evidence on which to find... The, the club guilty. So that, that was that particular position. And then there was a second issue with regard to the wages being paid by Juventus. Um, Juventus is listed on the Italian stock exchange and it effectively put out a pronouncement during COVID that players had agreed to pay cuts for four months so people did their sums. They worked out what they thought the Juventus, uh, Juventus's wage bill would be. It seems to be the case that Juventus players said, well, "Hold on, that's news to us. We've only agreed to take a one one month uh, wage reduction, and the remainder of the wages was paid in in, in envelopes uh, oh. for, or, or glorified forms of envelopes." Uh, and people say, well, yeah, isn't that just a little bit fanciful? What, what exactly was going on? And, and nobody's exactly sure. I mean, all, all I can say is um, one of one of my uncles, not Uncle Terry, was actually the head of uh, a bank in Italy, and he yeah. told me sort of the quite quite a few of the business practices 
would would take your eyebrows into uh, into stratospheric levels. So um, it, it's it's an interesting country when it comes to compliance. And, and to be fair, the, the regulators have, have got the, the work cut out. So I think on the back of that, when this was all found out, um, Juventus were effectively summoned before UEFA, and they said, "We'll just take a one-year ban, right. you know, and we'll and we'll save you an awful lot of work and f- further investigation." And actually, it's because they didn't want to go and play in the in the Europa Conference. Um, the board of directors, um, when all of these things were coming to light, um, they did something which I think is is superbly Italian. The whole board of directors resigned at the same time. But they said that's not an admission of guilt of anything. <laughs> just just a, a, an unusual coincidence. Yeah, we, we all decided at exactly the same day. Yeah, we've had enough of it. Um, so um, Agnelli, who was one of the architects of Super League, he resigned. You know, he's connected, of course. He's famous for his, his family's connections with the Fiat organization. Um, and all seems to have gone very quiet. So I think Juventus have a new board. They're, they're trying to sort things out, but I don't think it's reflected particularly well on the, the pre- predecessors at the club. Mm. Uh, our, our pre-penultimate question, Kieran, as we've learnt to call the third question from the end, comes from Liam Reynolds. And Liam Reynolds has an interesting question, Kieran, because in the back of my mind, I've got a feeling this did happen once. Um, I, I, I didn't go so far as to research it, but normally in the back of my mind is good enough evidence. Uh, Liam Reynolds says, if a player was to retire from football whilst contracted to a club, is there anything stopping them from coming out of retirement and joining another club? For example, if I was playing for Burton for five years and the club didn't want to sell me, could I retire in June and then come out of retirement a few months later and find a new club? I, I'm sure there was a player that had a long-term injury, Kieran, left the game and then medical science was such that he was able to return from retirement some months later. But I don't know if I got that right, but is this scenario a feasible one? I don't think it would be feasible, Liam. And the reason for that is that when a player joins a club, under the terms of the contract, the player's registration goes to the football association. And that that registration will say, right, this player is is contracted to pay for the football club until, let's say, the 30th of June 2025. So if you or I were playing for a team and you know, somebody's offered us a load more money, the club won't sell it, we couldn't put in a retirement now or put a retirement in at the end of June 2023 and then, hey, presto, you know, six weeks later, we said, oh, we've decided to come out of retirement because the original club would still hold the registration for a remaining two years. So that, that's the reason why uh, this type of activity doesn't make two. Because we've seen, we've seen managers resign and then tr- you know, when trying to force a move, um, what, what the players tend to do, um, and as we've seen this on quite a regular basis over the course of the last few windows, is that they effectively go on strike? You know, you know, was it was it Nunes at Wolves wanted to join Manchester City? Uh, he he effectively stopped attending training. There was rumours of Caicedo doing the same. Um, it, it does seem to be effectively downing tools. There were rumours even of Harry Kane trying it a couple of years ago when when there was talk about him moving from 
Spurs to Manchester City. So you you cannot retire, and well, you can retire, but your registration will still be held by your previous employer. And if you want to join another club, then they are still entitled to compensation from for that registration. I, I don't know how old Liam Reynolds is, Kieran, but I, I noticed that you you float the idea of you and he were to be playing football, and I wasn't included in that. It's, it's, that seems a bit hurtful, Kieran. You know, you didn't you didn't even bother to say if all three of us was, were playing football. It just didn't even enter your mind, even though you and I are roughly the same age in your head. You're still up for joining a professional football club. It's... Well, I think you've got too much integrity to do something like that, Kieran. So that's why I excluded you. <laughs> no, we all know, Kieran. Your nose just grown by about an inch and a half there. <laughs> well done for reaching for that answer very quickly. That, that's the sort of thing you should have done in the car on the way back from Brentford to Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> that that level of quick thinking would have suited you much better than just sitting there sulking while the Baroness berated you for taking on the entire West London, which is how these stories grow. It's, it's gone from you being a bit leery to taking on the entire West of London. <laughs> Alexander Colazzo has our penultimate question, and our last two questions both have Spanish connections. Um, Alexander Colazzo says, Barcelona's president, Juan Laporta's confident comments concerning the ESL become a reality by 2025, that's the European Super League, of course, got me thinking about the setup of the league. Would a system where the two Spanish giants and Juventus created a league and then sell franchise licenses for hundreds of millions of euros to interested parties around Europe in, say, London, Manchester, Paris, Munich, etc., force the hands of established clubs to join the Super League? Surely expansion franchises alone would not entice most fans, but could money generated from expansion fees, TV deals and foreign investment from America, Asia and the Middle East be enough to entice top footballers to join this new league and make it a serious rival contender to the Champions League. You've you've said right from the start, Kieran, that the European Super League isn't going away and it's only a matter of time before we go through it all again. But has Alexander hit on a way that it could happen? It it could happen. Ultimately, money talks in all sport. We've seen this with golf and the LIV. We've seen this in cricket. You've got players such as Mark Wood, who've now got a really difficult decision. You know, do they play for England or do they go to the, the, the IPL, which has been incredibly successful as, as a franchise organisation, effectively creating new clubs and, and selling the TV rights on the back of them and recruiting players. Um, I think it could happen. I think there will be some logistical challenges if the franchise was offered to the London Rangers or whatever they're going to be or the London... Yeah, London City something or other. Um, they would need somebody somewhere to play, depending upon the reaction of other place, other clubs in the football industry. You know, are Arsenal likely to allow a, a, what, what would effectively be a competing franchise to play at Highbury? Would the Football Association allow that to, to take place at, at Wembley? Um, so so we, we would have to wait. I think that would be a, an issue. You then have issues in terms of where would the football association stand and where would FIFA stand with regards to this. And you know, with, with FIFA, everything's in play at all times, so let, let we have to be honest, because they hold the registrations 
or they could say, well, anybody that joins these franchises no longer is available to play for their national team. Okay. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Zach Wagman. Um, now, Zach, if you're related to Mark Waggers Wagman, uh, do let us know, uh, and I can send him my regards. Waggers is the legendary celebrity booker for ITV, who's uh, one of the funniest, uh, nicest people I've ever met. Although, Zach, don't tell him I said that. If you are related, so lovely, he'd never let me get, never let me get over that. If I told him that I actually liked him. Uh, Zach's question is an interesting one, Kieran, again with a Spanish link, as I told you. Zach says, I discovered recently that Spanish football journalist Guillem Balaga is chairman of Biggleswade United, a team in Bedfordshire in the United Counties League Premier Division South. And my question is, why? Uh, Three question marks here, Kieran. Why? Why, why, why? What is the benefit for Eva, for Balaga? I guess it's just a bit of a fun project, but it seems a bit odd to do it seemingly in the middle of nowhere slash somewhere he has no connection. For the club, though, how do they benefit? Surely none of his contacts are interested in the club that small, such as bringing over young players, etc. And before the people of Biggleswade get across, it's not me saying it's in the middle of nowhere. It's Zach Wagman. Um, It's an interesting question, Kieran. I mean, Guillaume is an astonishing journalist and somebody you always, always trust. Very nice chap as well. Um, I don't see there's any reason this, this era of globalisation. Why shouldn't he be chairman of Biggleswade United? Well, well, first of all, I'd absolutely agree with you. He's one of the really good guys in football. Absolutely. Um, a few years ago, a student wanted to do a, uh, wanted to do, develop his presentation skills. So this is the university level. So he invited Graham to say, will, will you come and do a Q&A in, in front of an audience? And, you know, Guillaume's high profile uh, and he's a busy man. And he said, yeah. And he, and he came up to Liverpool and he was absolutely brilliant, absolutely charming. Um, you know, and, and, you know, staff turned up and students turned up. The, the Baroness was devastated that she couldn't get his <laughs> ticket. Because... <laughs> Have you seen his eyes? She was going. I go, So with regards to um, Biggleswaite, He's an absolutely fantastic chairman because sometimes you you do get people who are artillery in nature. You know, you're, they're there. Yes, you've got you got the name, and they don't actually do anything. He he normally gets to a match a month at least. Yeah, you know, and, and he's based wow. in Barcelona, so yeah, it's a fantastic level of commitment. With regards to the benefits of the club, I think for the first two years in which he was chairman, Adidas provided the kit free because oh, know, wow. he he is he is a name. Um, he's also managed to to bring some players across. Uh, Ansu Fati, the uh, the player with the one billion uh, contract ex- clause at Barcelona, except he's now playing for Brighton. Um, his I brother uh, was brought across to Bill's weight. And the other thing which which Graham Balaga has done, which again I think is, is really cool, just raising the profile of the club, is that he normally carries a. a, a, a one of the merchandise shirts. So, you know, the Homewood shirt or the away shirt, he'll carry that around with him. And if he's interviewing Pep or if he's interviewing Zidane, he'll say, any chance of a picture with you holding up this shirt? And they'll gladly do oh, it. Wow. So so he has raised the profile of the organisation. That, that's been really good. It's allowed them to develop a women's team. It's allowed them to have relatively low subscriptions because he, he has, he's been a, a very, very good um person as far as the club is concerned and in raising its profile and, and helping it uh, with regards to to running on a day-to-day basis 
It sounds like the pitch for a film there, Kieran, doesn't it? Two brothers, two brothers who both play football, come to the UK. One goes to Biggleswade, one goes to Brighton. And then we follow the antics as a Biggleswade get drawn against Brighton in the third round of the FA Cup. Uh, come on, Biggleswade. Uh, talking of audiences, Kieran, we are now in a position to 100% confirm that we are doing the Salford Lowry, our live show, the Salford Lowry on Sunday, the 22nd of October. Our tickets are now on sale. And we're going to Jersey, Kieran. We're going to the beautiful island of Jersey on Tuesday, the 7th of November. And I believe tickets are now available for that as well. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And finally, if you'd like to pre-order our new book, Unfitted in Proper Persons, or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, or get full details on those upcoming shows at Salford and the Lowry and some others that are, uh, we're still negotiating will be coming to a town near you soon or in the new year. You can do all that by going to our New Look website at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our news pod. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. And we've also now got a YouTube channel. And people might say, we? yes, we, we do. Yes. What, what does that entail? Well, um, People, people like the numbers. I, I know you were you were a bit miffed um, when we did the Plymouth live show a couple of months ago. That in the interval between sort of the first and the second <laughs> half of the show, I, I put up a I put up a uh, a, a visualization of a spreadsheet. And all of the audience crowded round that. They were more interested in looking at the numbers than they were in talking to you or I. So I, was, I wouldn't say I was miffed, Kier. I was baffled. That's what I was. I was baffled. Yeah, but yes, you're right. Okay. So, so what we've done is that we've I've got an awful lot of data with regard to football. So we've started to put together some visualisations, and they last only two or three minutes each. Um, producer Guy has put down some funky beats to because people don't know that Producer Guy is is actually a bit of a he's a bit of a music tart. Uh, yeah. he, he used to play the bass. Um, so you can imagine him doing that, can't you? Um, yeah. So he's, he's put down a few beats to go along with it. And if you go to the YouTube channel just to see, I think it's got things such as total income, total wages, total transfer spend, total transfer receipts. And you can see the impact of the likes of Roman Abramovich and uh, uh, Sheikh Mansour in terms of the finances of individual clubs and how that's accelerated money in football. So we thought we'd just, we'd just do that um, to to try to sort of put some, some meat on the bones and some of these numbers that we that we talk about on a regular basis. But there's another one. Kieran, sorry, we, we, we've become some sort of bizarre Michelin web sketch. The funky accountants. You can go and check who's, who's amortising who with some jazz funk beats underneath. Yes. <laughs> it's, it comes as no surprise to me that uh, producer guy is the one who would stand at the back looking bored playing the bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need John John Thompson to introduce producer guy as part of <laughs> jazz club. <laughs> we do. That's very funny. Sorry, Kerry. Um, there's another way if you want to support the show, um, and that's to. Go to your app through which you listen to uh, the podcast and to give us a review. doesn't matter what you say, by all accounts, as long as you, you 
put some sort of review. Um, and you could even say you would rather have the show presented by by Don Johnson of Miami Vice, because it was one of my favourite programmes. And let's face it, we all tried to look cool, and there was nothing worse than uh, somebody in the in the 80s wandering around with a pair of white linen trousers in Blackpool in November, I can assure you, <laughs> when I was running that nightclub. Um, uh, but Don Johnson and Nadine Dorris, because uh, Nadine Dorris uh, was head of DCMS, and she has been replaced by Lucy Fraser, uh, for which uh, I, am, I am grateful, because um, I think if Nadine Dorris had... The, uh, had had the responsibility to, to try to read the report that uh, myself and Christina Philippou had put together, it, it would be a bit like teaching nuclear physics to a stick insect. And apologies <laughs> to all stick insect owners when I say that. <laughs> and nuclear. The rest of this pod has been redacted by our lawyers. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the